In the name of Jesus, amen. You know the saying, easier said than done. Have no fear of them, Jesus says three times. Rather, fear him, God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Four imperatives altogether. Three imperatives, have no fear of them. Imperatives that we are not very good at. Do not be afraid of men, of people. But we are. I am. Rather, fear God. And I'm on board with the idea, I get it. But when push comes to shove, still not very good at it. If it's God on one side and Netflix on the other, and God says, put down the remote, and Netflix says, click here, I usually do the wrong thing. But there's help in the lessons. No imperatives in the Bible without explanation, without rationale, without cause, without means of responding to those imperatives, and no imperatives without the overarching mercy of God that forgives us because we fail. So, have no fear of them for three reasons. Have no fear of them on the one hand because all will be revealed in time. Second, have no fear of them because they cannot kill the soul, which is the essence of who we are. Have no fear of them because you are valuable to God. God who watches over and feeds the sparrows, who clothes the lilies of the field or covers the field with grass, which today is and tomorrow withers, how much more is God jealous for your soul, which he has redeemed at the life of his son. But I do tend to get it all backwards. I tend to fear others when I shouldn't. I tend to fear myself when I shouldn't. So let's move on from the fear part to the other scary part. What does acknowledging or denying Christ look like? Those are some pretty encouraging and terrifying words. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, sounds great. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. So again, what does that look like? Does confessing Christ look like a person on a soapbox on a street corner? And it probably doesn't mean anything to you younger people anymore. What's a soapbox? Uh, but people used to get boxes, crates from an alley and stand up on it so they would be tall in busy streets and start yelling at people uh, what they thought they should hear. Not usually received that well. Or it could look like a, a book stand at the Newport Beach Pier uh, with some nice people standing next to it um, who are known as Jehovah Witnesses. And I did ch chat with them a little while and they, in fact, got it backwards, I'm afraid. They very publicly and in print and verbally denied Christ. He is not God. Or for you, is it some social media? Is that where you either confess or deny Christ? Maybe confess Christ by putting some Christian image with your picture or on your page, but maybe deny Christ in the kinds of sentiments or the kinds of interests that you fill your sight with. With. Or worse yet, is it a 
double standard, is that maybe not the worst denial of Christ? That I'm all about Christ for me and grace and graciousness for me, but I'm all about to judge and judgment and, uh, and bearing down on everybody else. And uh, God provided, of course, an example for chapel. Yesterday, as I was riding my bike home, I was cut off by a student coming out of the parking lot. It would have been great if it had been fatal for me, but it wasn't. So, who, in fact, if you're here in the room, I'd like to talk with you after. It's a silver Plymouth with a convertible top, blonde. Uh, Anyway. So as I was riding my bike down the hill in pursuit of the cutoff vehicle, I was thinking about how inexcusable that kind of driving is. And then I noticed that the car got stuck at the bottom of the hill behind another car at the stop sign, so I thought, well, good. I'll get up there and I'll have a look at this perpetrator, and they'll look at me and they'll know. Kind of like Jesus looking at Peter when... The rooster crowed, right? Well, she wasn't looking. She wouldn't turn her head so I could see, and I went my way. But then I had these other thoughts. You know, what I really wanted to say to her was, how can you do something like that? You're in a car. I'm on a bicycle. This is dangerous. You need to drive more carefully. And then the very next thought was, oh, man, I can't think of how many times I have cut people off in my car. And what I always worry about is them catching up with me, looking at me, with a look that says, how can you do something so inexcusable? So in the end, if I could do it all over again, I'd like to ride up next to her, knock on her little window, and have her roll it down and say, do you know how many times I've done what you just did? And how many times I wish I could hear the person say, it's okay, I do that too. Is that what confessing Christ looks like? So maybe at the beginning we think confessing Christ means to say things with ferocity, like some Christ confessors claim to do, or is it to say things falteringly, so like we're a reed shaken by the wind, or does it look like not saying anything at all because we're afraid, or is it a still small voice? Maybe 1 Kings 19 is the place to go from these lessons, that still small voice. How else to confess Christ, and how better than to remain in his word, which is what he said discipleship depends entirely on. Here, in his word, we discover how he confessed, sometimes a still small voice, or sometimes patient in teaching, sometimes a powerful apologist, sometimes a silent, sacrificial lamb. What we do know for sure is that we, if we assess ourselves on the basis of some percentage, percentages are law and the law will condemn us. We know that trees are known by their fruit and we know what the tree of our human nature is like and it's always bearing bad fruit and so it will and always deny Christ or at least intend to seek to make its way to do that. But we also know that this Christ, because of his incarnation, has demonstrated reconciliation and atonement for our sin, for our failure. But more than that, his very incarnation proves 
that his word is also inspired and that his sacraments, like Christ himself, has the power to change, to regenerate, to raise from the dead. So we also have a nature within that is always and 100% like Christ and so confessing him. And so the ratio that we see is the, is the, what the struggle between those two natures. But the struggle is already accomplished in the life of our Lord. And it is our reflection on that during Lent and our anticipation of the celebration of his victory over that in Easter and Eastertide that gives us hope and encouragement as we look at the law first fearfully and rightly so, and then with the encouragement of God's own explanation, and then with the power of his own word and spirit to regenerate us, to do those very things that Christ himself both commands and did for us. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and in his word, now and forever. Amen. We continue with him uh, three uh, four hundred thirty six. <laughs> 